We're in Acts chapter 2 today. Last week we closed as Peter told the crowd that Jesus was risen from the dead and that he was at the right hand of God. We, looking back, know all of the history. We know everything that took place. They did too. They were aware of who Jesus uh, claimed to be. They were aware of his disciples, his apostles. They were aware of everything. Uh, but they didn't know him personally. They didn't believe who he said he was. And so now Peter's out there in the street and he's going to be calling them out because of their unawareness. Well, this is what the Bible warned in the Old Testament all the way through. The prophets warned that Israel was going to grow cold. They, they were going to have a hardened heart. They weren't going to listen to the prophets. They killed the prophets. They didn't want to hear what the prophets had to say. Jesus called them out on it when Jesus was teaching. He said, you guys, you killed the prophets. You don't want to hear what the prophets have to say. But they still had the scriptures and they knew what the prophets said because they taught it in the synagogues. And so these religious rulers were just out of touch with reality. Have you ever had someone teach you something that you didn't like, that you didn't want to hear? Uh, you know, that was me. Uh, most of my teachers would teach me something, and I would find something wrong with it. You know, oh, I, I don't like that. I don't want to hear about that, you know. Well, you know, you are in a college getting a degree in computer science, you will have to learn math, you know? I'm like, well, I, I'm sure there's other ways, you know? <laughs> and because I was terrible, I was terrible at statistics and all of that. And then I just had one teacher sit down and explain it to me in the right way. And it made sense. All of a sudden, everything became clear, and it made sense. And I got my degree in computer science. I still don't do math. <laughs> we have calculators for that. You know, so, but it, it's, it's the fact that we sometimes butt up against those who want to teach us good things, the truth, and well, we don't like to hear the truth. It, it, sometimes it can uh, chafe us the wrong way. Well, you know what? The Bible does that. It does, it's supposed to do that. It's supposed to rub us the wrong way. It, it's supposed to convict us of our sin. Sin is pleasurable for a season, but after that, it produces death. But we need to hear how we are convicted. We need to hear the conviction from the Lord, not from others. It's not so much that you come up to, hey, the Bible says this, you can't be doing that. You know, and, and people do that. People call out other people, oh, you shouldn't be doing this. 
No, here, let me point you to the scripture. This is what the scripture says. So Peter isn't standing on the street amidst these Jews who are in town for the celebration. They're Jews. They were raised Jews. They knew everything that Peter was going to really tell them. They knew it because they heard it taught before. The only thing they didn't have, they didn't know it in their heart. We can be intellectual Christians and still not have the Holy Spirit leading and guiding us in our heart. We can have the knowledge of the Bible. We can have the knowledge of Christ, but not have a relationship with him. And what good is that? What good is having all this knowledge and not living it out and not acting upon the knowledge that we have? And so that's what Peter is calling them out on. You have all this knowledge. You've learned all of these things, yet you don't believe. You're not putting it into action. He said that it was all a plan of God. That this wasn't just something that happened. Jesus didn't just happen to come and happen to be crucified. It was a plan. God had that plan from the beginning and it was foretold by the prophets. It was witnessed by the disciples. The disciples were there the whole time watching this take place and they witnessed his resurrection and ascension. And so they're eyewitnesses to all of these things. Today's message is titled, How to Grow the Church. No, this isn't a church growth teaching. But it's a biblical teaching on what took place in that early church. Peter makes his final point now as he's um, going to start. We're going to pick it up in, well, let's pick it up in verse 34. We finished with that last week where it said, For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he him, says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. So here, Peter is talking about David. And he's saying, pay attention, this is from David. This is what David said. And he said, the Lord, and this is the Lord God, said to my Lord, and who is David? Jesus, at this point, sit at my right hand, because Jesus is at the right hand of God. Till I make your enemies your footstool. That hasn't come yet. It's going to happen. The enemies of God are going to be the footstool of Jesus very soon. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. He's really building friends here. Now, both Lord and Christ. And now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what should we do? So Peter says, hey, this Jesus who you crucified, well, 
you have to consider that these were the Jews. Many of them were probably there for the Passover. And when they were there for the Passover, they were probably the ones that were standing in the street shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And so many of those guys were there at this point. Remember last week when we were talking and the disciples came out of the upper room, they came out into the street, they were speaking in other tongues, and there were some that said, oh, they're just drunk from new wine. Remember, those are probably not even here at this point. Those guys don't want to hear Peter teaching a whole message. Oh, they're just drunk. And they probably, these Jews that are there are people that are listening to what people, what, what Peter is saying. They're listening to his teaching and they're being convicted. Remember the Holy Spirit just came upon these disciples in that upper room, filled them and now they're out in the street speaking in other languages and people are hearing the Holy Spirit clearly in their own language and they are being convicted by the Holy Spirit, not by Peter. They're being convicted by the Holy Spirit of what they're hearing and then Peter says, you killed him. That pierced their heart, we hear. It cut to the heart. That message just spoke right to them. So as Peter is speaking this, as they are receiving this, the Spirit is still moving in their hearts. That's the only way that people get to have a relationship with Jesus if the Spirit calls them, the Spirit draws them in. And then they have, a lot of times we want to argue people into heaven. You know, we're going to argue the scriptures. That's the intellectual side of us. Oh, I have all the reasons that you need to believe me about, you know, heaven, about Jesus, about salvation, about sin. Whenever you mention sin, every single person, 100% of the people know that they're sinners. And if anyone ever says to you, well, I'm not a sinner. Step back. Because <laughs> a lightning bolt may be coming out of the sky. Well, fortunately, we have a God that is patient. He doesn't strike us dead when we say something stupid. I wouldn't have made it past 14. <laughs> you know, but he is patient with us. And... So here he's sharing with them something that's touching their heart. And in verse 38 it says, Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized. Well, why is he saying this? Because in verse 37 it says, men and brethren, what shall we do? They asked, what shall we do? How do we get out of this pickle we're in? We're in trouble. How do we get out of here? We made a mistake. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise 
is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So Peter tells them what they can do. They have to recognize first that they need to be saved. And obviously, they do recognize because they're asking, what do we do? Now that we're at this point, what do we do? You're going to have the opportunity to share with someone the Lord and what he has done in your life. It's called your testimony. You're going to have the opportunity to share that. And someone is going to hear that testimony. And they're going to act upon that testimony. Either they're going to ignore your testimony and go about their way, or they're going to ask you the question, what do I do about this? You know, how do I fix this? A lot of times we get so excited when we hear that. Oh, I'll tell you. First, you have to stop doing this. You have to stop doing that. You have to get, you, you talk like a truck driver. You can't do that. And you got to, you know, you shouldn't be drinking that much. And you couldn't, and, and that's a lot of times we go in the wrong direction. But it's very simple what they have to do. Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. So believing means I believe everything Jesus taught me. Believing doesn't mean, oh, I believe there was a Jesus. Even the demons believe and they're not going to heaven. We're not going to get to heaven and say, hey, weren't you the demon that was bothering me my whole life? Yeah, but I repented. No, it, it isn't going to happen. The demons believe in Jesus, but there is no way out for them. So here we need to understand how we can share what they need to do to be saved. First, they need to understand why they need a savior. Everyone needs a savior because they're sinners and sinners need Saviors. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All. All means all in this case. In the Greek, it means all. In the English, it means all. Everyone is a sinner and needs a Savior. Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death. This is very simple stuff. And it's very simple to explain these things. And there are going to be some people that, well, I'm not, I'm not a really bad sinner. Sinners kill people. Yes, they do. But they also lie to people, and you just lied to me when you said you weren't a sinner. And, you know, you, you can go all the way. But, you know, if you just want to cut to the chase, you can say, have you ever coveted something that somebody else has and you really wanted it and you, you really liked it? Yeah, that's, that's number 10. Okay? And so if you admit it to that, that's it. And it says that if you're guilty of one, you're guilty of all. And so we're all guilty because everyone has coveted at one and the media is so happy to make you covet. You know, if if you didn't see 50 different commercials for something, you know, and I need that. 
I know I need that. You know, why do you think car companies put all those commercials on there? Because you're going to covet. We're going to force you to covet. Because there's just no other way you know, around it. You're going to covet. And so we are all guilty of that. That's the easiest way to um, get someone to realize that they're sinners. Then, number two, we need to repent. Every single sinner needs to repent. Repent means to turn the opposite direction. You're going in the direction of sin. We need to repent. We need to turn the other way. Here's the problem with repentance. We're here and we need to repent. We go, I'm turned. No, you're not. You're just looking the other way. You're still looking, you're still going this way. I was on a hovercraft. I was a hovercraft navigator in the Navy. Okay, and these things are huge. They're 80 feet by 40 feet. They're many, many, many tons, 200 tons. And they can go 70 knots over water. The only problem with going 70 knots over water in a hovercraft is that when you want to turn, it doesn't happen. You can turn that hovercraft all the way sideways. It'll still be going in the same direction you were going because it's up above the water and it just, it's not going to turn until you have to do it so slowly, incrementally. You have to turn just a couple of degrees at a time. And then you let a little air out of the bag so the bag, the rubber, touches the water and it kind of pulls you in that direction and it makes this hovercraft turn. But if you have a little boat in front of you and you can't realize it until you're like right on them, even if you're going 40 knots, it's going to take you a mile to stop and it's too late for that little boat. Hopefully you can get out of the way. And we, we've had these situations when we were out there in, in the water. Incremental turns to get. But when we are living in sin, it's not an incremental turn. It's we need to stop and we need to turn. We need to leave behind. Now, here's the problem. My sin, you know, you may be a good sinner, you only had one or two sins that you had to get rid of, or you could have had a list of sins, and, you know, so you start at the top and you sort which ones, all right, I'll start on these right here. Don't sort someone else's sin for them. Let God do that. The most you can do for someone else is pray for them. Lord, you know what they need to turn away from. And Lord, convict them of that sin and have them turn away from that sin. And eventually, God works his way down that list. But we're not going to be perfected until the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.6 and so if we're not going to be perfected until then, what does the word perfected mean? It means completed. It, it, it means that God has completed the work that he started in us. And then once he gets to that point and we're perfected, we're completed, then we're not going to be in these bodies. 
because Paul says, hey, these stinking flesh bodies that we're living in, they sin. You know, the spirit doesn't want to, but our flesh does. Oh, but until we get out of these bodies, that's going to be a problem. We're going to have to fight that our whole lives. And we can't win. Fortunately, God can. So we just have to give it to him. But we still need to repent. We still need to turn away from that sin and turn into the right direction and head in the right direction. Number three, we need to recognize that Jesus is God's only provision for sin. There is no other. You cannot pray to anyone else to forgive you of your sin. You know, that's the only answer is that God, he is the one who forgives us of sin. And so some people like to think that there are other ways there are other people we can dump our sin. If you died and you were named a saint and you went to heaven, would you want people talking to you asking for you to forgive their sin? You got to go see Jesus. Sorry. Don't ask me. I have no power. There is no one under heaven that can save us except for Jesus Christ. And there's no one that can for forgive us of our sin except for God. That's clear. But here's the good thing. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us. Well, while we were still sinners, he died for us. Well, while we were still sinners, he died for us. We must receive the gift of Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That's the final thing. We have to receive this gift. If we don't receive it, if we think that we can work our way into heaven, it's just impossible. There is no work that you can do that's going to get you to heaven. But if you want to try, I'll give you a list. Right? And, and after you're done with that list, you're going to be so tired, you're just going to want Jesus to, you know, receive you into heaven. Believe me. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. God is the one that gives us these gifts. So uh, one thing I want to touch on is the baptism. People say, well, repent and then be baptized. You have to be baptized to be saved. It's not a requirement for salvation. Baptism is something we do so that others will know what we believe. So that when we are baptized, we ourselves will know because the act of going under the water and then coming out of the water is the cleansing, the removal of the old man, the new man coming out. It's something that we show what we believe. There were two things that we're supposed to do as Christians that we're commanded to do. Baptism is one. And I think that everyone should be baptized. It's not going to keep you out of heaven, but it's going to make you realize who you are. It's going to be something where you can say, I was baptized here and I became that new person. I, well, 
No, you didn't become anything when you were baptized. You committed to it. You committed at that point. You said, I'm doing this and I'm proving to everyone else what I commit to. And I'm committing to this. And so I'm going to live as a Christian. You only have to be baptized once. But communion is an ongoing thing. We do it all the time. It, it doesn't save you either. But we're told that we should participate in communion to rem remember the death of our Lord who died for us and what it cost. The, the communion, the bread and the juice that we drink, it's just reminders of what it cost. And so we can dwell on that. We can think about that and consider what Jesus did for us. Those are the two things, baptism and communion, that we are commanded to actually do. But it's not a requirement for salvation. Verse 40, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. And then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. He had many other words that he shared. How come they're not here? Well, first of all, Acts is a very long book, one of the longest, because they used a long scroll, but you got to get everything on that scroll. You know, you don't have part two, part three. Well, we're living part two right now, by the way. We're living Acts right now. But here, they were concise in what they wanted to say. And Peter was quoting from Old Testament scripture. There were scrolls everywhere that had what he was teaching. They already knew it. And so he shared these things with them. But there were other gospel writings that we were going to have. And you know who put together the Bible? The Holy Spirit. And so because we have the whole Bible and the Holy Spirit knew what he was going to do, he knew what we needed to hear. So Peter used many other words, but we don't have all of the details of what they were. Kind of like when Jesus was on the road to Emmaus and he spoke with the two disciples and he was sharing uh, with the two disciples everything from Moses forward. Well, what did he share? Uh, can, I, don't you wish you had the recording for that? Some of you wanted the cassette, you know, you remember cassettes, right? And, and, you know, you wanted to hear what Jesus taught. Well, just read the Old Testament because it says he quoted from the scriptures and he showed them from the scriptures everything that they needed to know about the Messiah. And so if you read the Old Testament, then you know what he talked about. Maybe not specifically, but you're going to run across it somewhere. On that day, the Holy Spirit was given to the church. The church grew by 3,000 souls. There was no plan for the outreach that day. They didn't have it scheduled. They didn't rent the auditorium. They didn't have any knowledge of what was going to happen. They were in the upper room praying, and all of a sudden the sound of a mighty wind and 
something that looked like flames above their head. And then they went out into the street speaking in other languages, sharing the wonderful works of God with those that were out in the street. It was that simple. There was no plan. That's how God does things. Quite often we plan things. We have, okay, we have the three-month plan. We have the six-month plan. We have a five-year plan. We have plans for everything that we're going to do, all the details that we're going to lay out, all these different programs that we want to accomplish. And I have found that sometimes as I'm executing our plan, I can hear this laughter. Sometimes it's my wife. But sometimes... Sometimes it's the Holy Spirit saying, oh, is that what you have planned? I got something else planned. So just hang on. It's going to be different. It's going to be different than what you expect. And every Christian in here that has been walking with Christ for more than a year or two, uh, every Christian in here has found that the Holy Spirit changes plans. Sometimes they're good changes. Woohoo! You know, this is much better than I expected. Sometimes not so much. I didn't expect this. I didn't expect this sickness. I, I didn't expect this accident. I didn't expect my loved one to die. Sometimes they're not very good and they're painful for us to go through. But either way, the Holy Spirit is there. And he can still work through every single change that takes place in our lives. Sometimes the changes are self-induced. Sometimes we do something stupid and it has a negative impact on our lives. And then we like to blame God. Oh, God, where were you? Why weren't you, you know, why didn't you know that stock was going to crash? I did. Didn't want you to play it, but you went ahead and put all your money in that stock, you know? And, you know, but you suffer the consequences of your own actions. Many people today that are in the church suffer the consequence of their own action. They don't have um, the joy of the Lord in their lives and I'm not pointing people out here. I'm saying universal, in the universal church, they don't have the joy of the Lord in their lives because they miss the work of God through their lives. They're missing out on what God wants to do. They're missing out on the things that the Holy Spirit is leading us to do. And we're caught up in our own worlds. And we miss out on the joy of the Lord. And so the simplicity of what's taking place here right now, 3,000, they were there for Pentecost. They were there for the feast, for the celebration, because they were told that they have to be at these celebrations. And they were there to celebrate for the feast. And instead of this traditional celebration, they're introduced to the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine how powerful that was at that time? All at once, 3,000. Do you, 25, if there were 120 disciples 
in the upper room when they went out to the street and 3,000 got baptized that day. That means each of those 120 had to baptize 25 people. Had to go out there and be baptizing. You know, hold on. I just was hanging out praying and wanting to have a meal and the next thing you know, I'm at work. It's joyous work. It's joyous work. It's doing, whenever we do the work of God, Whenever God changes our plans and puts us in a place where we didn't expect to be, but it's his will, we're going to be joyed from it. We're going to be overjoyed from it. And that's what was going on with these 3,000. Peter said this perverse generation, they had a perverse generation. (laughs) I guess Peter didn't see this generation, did he? But it's not really so much talking about perversity in the way we perceive perversity, but it's perversity against God. You see, the religious rulers had taken what they were supposed to be sharing with the world, not just with other Jews. They were supposed to be sharing the love of God with the world so everyone can understand what it was to have a relationship with God. And they were supposed to be sharing this and drawing them in. Instead, they made rules and regulations so that everyone had to follow all these rules. This is what you have to do. This is how you have to do it. This is the only way that you can do it. And you have to give to us everything we ask of you. You know, a a lot of people think, oh, tithing, that was 10%, and they had to give 10%. Oh, no, they had to give all kinds of other things, too. They had all other kinds of demands that, oh, you know, you have to give this much in temple tax. Then you have to give this much. Your first fruits, you had to give a percentage of your crops. You had 10%, but no, then there was more. There was the peace offering, and, and there was all of these different offerings that had to be made. So they say by the time they were done making all of their offerings, it was almost 30% of what they had had to be given to these religious rulers. Um, That just seems like a lot, doesn't it? So uh, giving 30% here in the United States doesn't help. You see the tax rates that are in New York? Do they have the best education system and the best roads and the best everything because they give so much? No, they don't. And it's giving doesn't necessarily mean it's going to produce the best because whoever is receiving is really the one that's benefiting from the giving, right? And so the religious rulers were definitely benefiting from this. So the Religious rulers were getting their piece. The people weren't getting theirs. There was too much bureaucracy in, the, in Judaism. So in verse 42 it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. So how do we know that these new Converts remained converts, that they were fruitful. And it it says that they continued steadfastly. 
That's one thing as a pastor that I want to encourage everyone here. Continue steadfastly. That doesn't mean that you know, you have to make it to every church service, every Tuesday night Bible study, every fellowship thing that we offer. That's not what continuing steadfastly means. It means continuing daily steadfastly with the Lord. It means being in communication with him daily, studying daily. Not studying as in I'm going to get a degree in theology, but reading the word to find out what God wants to speak to you. You see, a lot of times I read the word to study. I do that a lot because I'm doing this. So I have to prepare myself to do a study, but that's not my devotional time. You see, I don't say, well, I've read so much this week, Lord. You know, I think I've reached my limit on, no. We need to be reading for us, for ourselves. We need to hear what the Lord may want to speak to us directly. That's our devotional time. That's the time that we spend. And I, I use many different you know, resources to do that. The little Our Daily Bread you know, mag magazines that we hand out, that's a great way to start off your morning. Start with that. I read another devotional. Then after that, and then I go into the Word, and I go through and I read the Scriptures there. I want to be steadfast. I want to feed the Spirit, not the flesh. And so it's good to start in the morning feeding that Spirit and getting stronger in the Spirit by the feeding of the Spirit. There are four areas that they were steadfast in their commitment to the Lord. Number one, they continued in the apostles' doctrine. They learned from the apostles. They heard what they were taught. They had the scriptures. And they continued in that doctrine. Now, you have to remember, they knew all of the laws of the Jews. They, well, they didn't know them all, but they knew when they didn't do it right. And they did what they could to obey and be obedient to those laws. And, oh, you broke the law, more money. Oh, you're, you sent here more money. We need another donation and bring a sacrifice and let's move along. That's what they got out of the religious system. And now they're hearing something different from Peter and the apostles. They're hearing something completely different. It's about a relationship, not about laws. It's not about the rules that we follow. So they listen to the oral teaching of the apostles. We call it the New Testament. We have the teachings and we can read them whenever we want. They continued in fellowship. They desired to be around other believers. And so they fellowshiped with other believers. It's hard to understand the difference between fellowshipping with believers and fellowshipping with the world if all you do is fellowship with the world. Because you're in fellowship with the world all the time and, and it just seems very natural. But when you fellowship with believers on a regular basis, 
you realize there's a difference between fellowshipping with the world and fellowshipping with believers. And your desire is more, I need more of that. I need more of the fellowship with believers. Not fellowship, but because sometimes I'll do things with people out in the world and I'll go to events and I'll, and I just go home and I want to, you know, I want to take a shower and go to bed. I just want to, you know, I, I just feel like, oh man, that was not so good, you know. But fellowship, having that men's breakfast yesterday, that was awesome. I was full. That, that was some great food, you know? And, and you know what was even better? The fellowship. Hanging out with guys. Sure, we talked about some things in our past and stuff like that. But you know what? It was just good stuff. It was fun stuff. And it was encouraging for us to share with one another. They ate together. They broke bread together. And they shared with each other. They celebrated on a weekly basis. They got together on the first day of the week and they had a celebration and shared meals together. And it was called an agape feast. It was a sweet time for them. Then it says they continued in prayer. And that is expressing dedication and dependence on the Lord, continuing in prayer. It shows that we are dependent on the Lord. Why do we pray? Because we're dependent on this relationship with the Lord. You know, and uh, my kids depend on their relationship with me. You see, my son is over in Italy, so I didn't, I don't get to talk to him very much. You know, and, and so uh, my daughter, all the time we talk, we Facebook, we, you know, uh, have, you know, um, uh, FaceTime and we communicate with each other all the time. And she comes out here, we go out there because she's close, but son's in Italy. So it's a little far away and he works in a job where I don't get to hear much about what he does. He, he works in army intelligence. So he's still trying to figure out what he does. And um, so, so here, when he comes to the United States, now I'm going to have that. I'm going to have that connection. But while we're apart, it, it's like there's a distance. We need to be connected with the Lord daily. He wants to hear from us daily. He wants us to be connected to Him daily, and He wants to speak to us daily. Verse forty-three. The then fear came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. And this is the fear, the word fear, phobos, and it means awe. They were awed by what God was doing through ordinary people. Sometimes we get hung up on people. You know, oh, this guy is such a great speaker. Oh, you have to go hear him. And, and you know, you have to hear his teachings on this and that. You know, and, and I listen and I say, oh, yeah, he's plagiarizing. That's the Bible he's teaching from. You know, oh, yeah, he's a great orator. He's able to go up there and he's able to, you know, put the words together. I'm from New York. 
I'm, I'm fortunate I have words. You know, and, and so half the time I'm up here teaching, I'm speaking in tongues. You don't even know. And, and it's the fact that the Holy Spirit needs to be the one reaching, not someone that has charisma. Um, don't let a person reach you. Even me, don't let me be the one reaching you. Let the Holy Spirit be the one reaching you. They had awe, not because of the apostles, it was because of what God was doing. That's where the awe, the true awe comes from. It comes from God. So here they saw all these miracles, everything happened. How come we don't see those miracles today? Are miracles done with? Are all of those things done with? People think so. People think they were just for the early church and, and all of the miracles and all of the, the wonders, they're all ended. Is God the same yesterday, today, and forever? Amen. So why would he stop doing miracles? Why would he stop doing wonders? I'll tell you there is a good reason. Because we get in the way. If we get in the way, he's not going to do a miracle. He will not share his glory with anyone. And so if we get in the way, he's not going to do those miracles. Because he doesn't want the glory going to us so people think, oh, that guy. So when you see these faith healers that are out there banging on people and, and they're getting healed of, of miraculous things and so on and so forth, um, take it with a grain of salt, please, because I don't see, I don't ever read about God working that way. When they lowered the man down in front of Jesus as he was teaching. And, you know, and Jesus forgave him of his sin. He's still laying on, on the cot there. And he said, oh, you Pharisees, you're all hung up that I forgave him of his sin. Oh, you want to see the power? You want to see what I, okay, you know, stand up, walk, take up your bed and get out. Jesus didn't say, Heal, you know, be healed. He didn't do that. He didn't draw attention to himself and what he was doing. He just spoke to him, said, take up your bed and walk, get out of here. And he did. You see, and we get hung up because we're fleshly people. We're not, not that we live, I'm not saying that we're always fleshly, but we like to be excited about things. We get pumped up and excited when you go to a concert and we're worshiping the Lord. I'm talking about a Christian concert and we're worshiping the Lord, you know, and stuff like that. We get excited about the amount of smoke coming off the stage and the lighting that's, that's happening at the time that the musicians are playing. And we can get, and it feeds our flesh in a way. I love the concert that Cheryl and I went to years ago. It was Stephen Curtis Chapman at Celebrity Theater in the round. And he just sat there on the stage playing his guitar and singing to the Lord. And we were all singing along. 
no lights, no smoke, just Stephen there singing away, worshiping the Lord, you know, and that's what it's really all about, you know, and, and I have many different ways to worship the Lord, but it, it's when someone is leading the Lord, uh, worshiping the Lord from their heart, leading worship from their heart, you know it. You sense the Lord, you know, leading, and, you know, that's just sweet worship. And I love that. I'm sure that they were experiencing that all together. Now, all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them all as anyone had need. So we're going to be setting up a table in the lobby after service, and you can go ahead and just start, you know. No, that's what they did, and it didn't work. Folks, it didn't work. Do you know why? Because they were human. And, and humans got in the way of making that work. God would have provided for them completely, but then there were those that came in and just wanted to take and didn't, I don't really have much to give. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? Oh, don't have much, Here, here's what we got, you know, and, and so I don't want to have a pile of dead people in the lobby, and so we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that, but, um, you know, they were doing it because they felt compelled. I just want to give. I want to give it all to the Lord. And they were overcome with emotion and compelled to do that. It only worked slightly. And then, I'm not going to go into all of that. Verse 46, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. In verse 47, this is the first occurrence of the word ecclesia, the church. This is the first mention of the church in the book of Acts. And it's talking about the fellowship of the saints getting together. And they would go to the temple. And then they would go house to house. And I believe that that's a model for what... He didn't say, go build churches. We came up with that about 200 AD, they started building, because it was a model that was modeled by the Jews early on with the temple and the synagogues. And so when there were a city that had more than 10 Jews in it, that was time for a synagogue, and they would build a synagogue in that city. And so it, it was a model that was given to us that way, and then we as the church do that, so we started off in the temples and then started building these later on, but it was house to house that they met. They would find the biggest house that they could meet and have home fellowships in those houses. And so it was a healthy way for the church to grow because some of these people were from other places, so they would go and they would bring the gospel to wherever they came from. 
And people would come to their house and they would share the good news with them. Remember, some of them are infants in the faith, so hopefully they're sharing the right thing. That's when we trust in the Holy Spirit to speak through someone even new in the faith. When I got saved, it was a person that was a brand new Christian that came to share the gospel with me. She knew one scripture, John 3.16. And she shared that over and over. And I asked every question, well, you know, what about evolution? What about this? What about that? And I had all these different questions. She, I don't know. She said, I don't know. I don't have those answers, but I know that God loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die for you. And I still had too many, but then right before she left, she said, you know that empty spot that you have inside of you? And I was like, who told you? (laughs) And she said, that's the spot God puts inside of everyone and only he can fill it. And so until you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that empty spot will be there. Everything that you have, you're trying to fill that void. That truck you have outside, that new stereo system, this nice home you live in, all of that is just trying to fill that. And once you get it, you find that it doesn't fill it. It's Jesus that you're looking for. She was right. It was very simple. It was a simple message, and it caused me to receive Jesus Christ because it's the only thing that made sense. You know why it made sense? The Holy Spirit was already doing the work in my life. The Holy Spirit was the one that brought her that night. Today, she does not walk with Jesus. It wasn't just a few years after that that she left Jesus because he didn't do what she expected him to do. And she walked away. And I went on to do this. It took 40 years for me to get here, but it's what God wants to do. And if I were doing it right, it would have only taken 20 years. But I was dragging my feet, doing it my way, up until we got to this point where God is doing the work. We close considering what the churches are like today. Churches now look to see how many people they can get in. How many, let's fill the church and that's going to, that proves that you have a good church, a healthy church. That's not how you prove you have a healthy church. A healthy church is with people that want to go deeper in their relationship with Jesus, no matter where they are in their walk with the Lord, they want to go deeper. They want to go deeper in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. They want to go deeper in the grace of Jesus Christ. And they want to learn about him. And they want to know his truth and make it part of their life. That's a healthy church. And I believe we have a healthy church. I believe we have people that desire to grow deeper in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, we all want to do that together. That's what 
makes us healthy and will keep us healthy as a church. Today's message gives us a picture of how to grow a church. First, we live out the doctrine that we're saved by. We live it out. If we're living the doctrine, people will be saved. And they will come into a relationship with Jesus. We allow the Holy Spirit to reach people by following his leading. When the Holy Spirit tells you to do something, do it. Don't question it. Just do it. You'll know. You'll know when it's the Holy Spirit or when it's your flesh. Number three, we remind ourselves that people we uh, will know that we're Christians by the love that we have for one another. People will see the love that we have and say, I want some of that. I want to experience that. That's what was happening in the early church. They were seeing these Christians getting saved and then they would all dwell together and they were all, and other people said, I want that too. You see, unfortunately, they didn't realize, they wanted communism. But what was really happening in the church was communism. They all had everything in common with each other, starting with their faith. And so they got to share together with that. But the others were looking at what they can get out of it, not what they can put into it, what they can give. And four, here's the most important message. We don't grow the church. That's Jesus' job. He said... On this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell won't prevail against it. It's him building his church. And so when we get caught up on what can we do? How can we do it? What, what do we? That's not our problem. We pray. And then the Lord brings the people that he wants saved. He already knows who they are. He knew from the beginning of time. And so that's how you have a healthy church. Amen? 